you take your Bibles and we go to Galatians in a moment, as you remain standing if you can. Uh, honored that, that we have set aside some time for intermingling with each other and connecting the next month. Uh, because, let me say this to you, I look so forward to these next, next month because of us, all of us. See, pre- preceding you coming here this morning in this service, there was a crowd like unto what you are. God's blessed us with full house in both services. But I don't get to talk to you like I'd like. I don't get to shake your hands, get to know you when we were running 50 and 100 people. And so in between the services, I don't come out here in between the sec- first and second because I am so, I need something to drink. Some place to lay down and die and then get revived. But next Sunday between, as Pastor Jeff said, four to six, I want to, I want to meet everybody if I can. The following week, the week after, different events. And please, the culmination of this month-long celebration will be at the Center for Performing Arts on March 21st. And it's in your bulletin. I know it's all there. But I want to bring you a word from the Lord on that day of our anniversary. We're going to do, we rented that facility because we wanted everybody in one place to celebrate. You figure after 25 years of being in one place, I ought to have a word from the Lord by then. So, so I want you to help me. And, and, and before we read the word, available to all the ladies, based on the uh, brief video you saw at the start of the service with the Bethmore Bible study beginning tomorrow night for all the ladies. And it's a 10-week ten, ten series. This book is part of the, is what you need. For $15, it is what we pay for it. And you can get this copy from the atrium and be ready for tomorrow evening or come tomorrow evening and get it. But the sooner you get it, the better you are. And you'll be ready for tomorrow's evening study. Put, put, put on the screen, please, and it is there. One verse, one verse. Galatians 2 and 20, the scripture says, the apostle Paul speaking, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let let me give you another one of a rendition, one of my favorite translations of Scripture. The New Living Translation puts it this way. My old self have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But but indulge me for one more of the same verse, but in the Amplified Bible. I have been crucified with Christ, meaning in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah. Say amen, somebody. The Messiah lives in me and you and you and you and you. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, meaning by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for us. I've got a bigger load to carry than I can carry by myself this morning. Stretch your hands in my direction. Would you pray for me? Would you, even if it's just out of my request, but would you pray for us together this morning? Point your hand this way. Father, in Jesus' name, what anointed singing, the worship, the praise, the music, everything's been about Jesus. And it's not by accident, Lord. Pastor Zach didn't ask me what I was preaching and I didn't ask him what he was singing and that's just the way we flow and we trust you. And here everything today has had an emphasis of Jesus and here we are all about Jesus and the Word. 
God, I, I know we got places to go and things to do and people to see and, and schedules to fill. But I beg you, Lord, in Jesus' name, uh, Lord, defend us today. I know I don't have to beg, but just my way of showing the, the, the importance of what we need. And so I pray that you to rest our minds and our bodies, but don't arrest us so much that we slouch down and lose connection. Quicken our minds, quicken our bodies. Forgive us for at times being only a hearer of the word. Help us to be a doer also. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you for being seated. I, I would speak to you this morning on obsessed with Jesus. I, uh, I think when I mention the word obsessed, that there are perhaps certain things that come to your mind. Maybe there are pictures and images that come to your mind when you hear this word Obsessed. Here's a definition. The American Heritage Dictionary, the English language, defines obsessed as to have the mind excessively preoccupied with a single emotion or topic. The online Merriam-Webster Dictionary adds this word to the definition To be haunted by. Excessively haunted by a single topic or emotion. Obsessed. I have come to believe that it follows that what occupies our mind will dictate our behavior. Can I get a witness? Isn't it Jesus himself who said that out of the abundance of the heart, meaning the mind, the mouth speaks. We are the product of what we think. Obsessed. I think of the word obsessed and I think presently now of the Winter Olympics. I like looking at some of that. I like looking because I am about to do some of that. It has come to my attention by the different kinds of competition in the Winter Olympics in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. That those who are in pursuit of the gold, G-O-L-D, the gold. The gold in things like snowboarding, cross-country skiing, figure skating, the luge. It appears to me that that those who are pursuing the gold, uh, they, they, they must be obsessed with that sport or that desire, wouldn't you think? When I think about the word obsessed, also I think about people who are obsessed with weight loss, physical appearance, plastic surgery, obsessed with the, for the man, the GQ look. Y'all thought I was antiquated. The ladies obsessed with the latest Hollywood or Madison Avenue, New York fashion. So people spend thousands of dollars obsessed with a look. Extreme makeover. And what's so extreme about the extreme makeover is that long about six months later you don't like 
to make over your hand. I'll move right along because I can tell that I've hit a spot. Obsessed with another person. One can be obsessed with another person. Actor, actress, sports personality, entertainer, a politician. Right now, I can't think of any politician I'd be obsessed with. A boyfriend or a girlfriend, obsessed with a person. (laughs) Grandson. I have no other children. No son-in-laws, no daughters. Only my wife and grandson. (laughs) When they come to see me, they're going to bring their own food. Lakeland can come, we'll give him food. One can be obsessed with business and making money. Bernie Madoff. Money, money, money. Obsessed with uh, having a retirement uh, 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 package. And, and Everything has its place, brothers and sisters. But the obsession, the one is driven that they don't have balance. One can be obsessed with, with control. Or controlling others. You ever met people who, they were always right and everybody else was wrong? Don't say, hey man, you could be sitting by them. And they wouldn't want to control that. (laughs) Controlling, have the last say. One can be obsessed with a hobby or, or video games or the internet. Give me a witness. Chat rooms and all of the other possibilities out there. Obsessed with Texting while the preacher is preaching. <laughs> One can be obsessed with, with an addiction, a habit, a vice. Some obsessions can lead to destruction. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, lust, sexual sins. Some obsessions can be the death of you. Not so, however, with an obsession with Jesus Christ. Oh, I want, to, I want to see that happen. Begin to birth here in my life today. What would happen if everybody under the sound of my voice today could have their mind excessively preoccupied with Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I, I come to ask the question, and to look at a profile of a person who's obsessed with Jesus. I come to do that in keeping with what I did two weeks ago. In a sermon entitled, What is Your Temperature? I told you I've been reading from Francis Chan's book, Crazy Love. That God the Holy Ghost, while I had that book for six months, God the Holy Ghost in the last three weeks caused me to be intersect with that book. And this time of my life and ministry. You see, all along the way we need a fire built under us. All along the way, we need a rekindling of the passion in our business, in our marriage, in our disciplines. You see, they tell us long about mid-February, like where we are right now, all the New Year's resolution you made, resolutions people made in 1st of January, long about right now, they begin to fizzle out. You know, the Weight Watchers plan and the, uh, and the Jenny Craig and her associates, uh, whatever, Nutrisystem, uh, and boy, everybody buy the stuff. We're going to die for the next three months. They tell us people last about six weeks, and some of you got stuff for sale you wish you didn't buy. Some of those New Year's resolutions we make. 
And, and in January, we had a week of prayer and fasting. And, and, and we said, God, we want, we want to draw nearer to you. We need to, we need to have revival. I wrote down in my Bible, I still have it here, those, those things that I've asked God for. And one of the things I've asked God for in this time of, uh, of remembering 25 years and moving forward to the next season of my life, one of the things I asked God for is to refresh my calling, renew my fire, renew my vision, make me a better pastor, make me a better lover of the Word of God. Make me a better prayer warrior. And it's been about six or seven weeks. And long about this time, if I follow my flesh, I'd want to abandon my resolution. But I'm coming to you this morning to tell you that there is a counterpart to lukewarmness. Two weeks ago, I told you, and we talked about what is your temperature. And I told you that Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you're neither hot or cold, but lukewarm, I'm going to spit you, vomit you out of my mouth. I'm saying to you that there is no place in the kingdom of God for carnal, casual, mediocre devotion to God. I have come to realize by reading this Bible, observing Christian soldiers, I mean men and women of God, I've come to realize in my journey that only those that will inherit the kingdom of God are those who are sold out to Jesus Christ. And so so what I'd like to do is to give you a little bit of a few examples of what the profile of a obsessed with Jesus person might look like. And I begin with this, if you will. People who are obsessed with Jesus give freely and openly without censure. Obsessed people love those who hate them and can never love them back. Obsessed with Jesus makes me a lover of everybody, especially my enemies. And I will tell you something, I can't do that kind of loving without the Holy Spirit helping me to do it. But but I'm saying to you, that is not a word for, for just casual uh, living kind of people. Well, that, this thing about being obsessed with Christ, somebody's thinking, it's, it's for other people and it's not for me. I'm saying to you that God calls all of us to a devotion that He will give us the power to fulfill. And so when I think about this, I, I think about the word consumed. It's another word for obsessed. Being consumed with a thing or a person. I think about a word obsessed and I think about another word fixated. You might write that down. Boy, you, you've heard people say that he or she has a fixation on something or someone. And, and I believe this is, this is what the Lord is calling us to in our love for Him. You see... I think in the Christian church we've had this kind of uh, idea that if we are nice people and behave nicely, people will know that we are Christians and they'll want to know more about Jesus. But it really doesn't work that way. You know, and I know a lot of people who don't even know Jesus Christ, but they're really nice. You and I know people who are nicer and more fun to be with than some Christians we know. (laughs) Yeah. You ever seen Christians you thought, if that's one, I don't want to be it? See ya, I don't want to be ya. So just being nice and friendly and polite and kind doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that we are the light and salt that God wants us to be. But we cross the barrier when we give freely and openly without censure. 
obsessed people love those who hate them and can never love them back listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 verse 32 and following I'll read it you listen to this word Jesus said if you love those who love you what credit is that to you even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you what credit is that to you even sinners do that and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the sons of the Most High. Because He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Jesus said, be merciful just as your father in heaven is merciful boy that calls us to another level doesn't it but i'm telling you that god will never call us to a level of discipleship without giving us the capacity in 2006 in lancaster pennsylvania suburb of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is known as Amish country. A man went into a school and lined up about nine students, mostly girls, and at a point-blank range took his gun and killed them. Deranged or whatever, I do not know. But how many of you remember reading about that or hearing that and how you felt? My brothers and sisters... There are, in my opinion, no more a devout people than the Amish people when it comes to their way of life. And and some of you already know this. You you know that they're kind of a simple down, scale down, don't love things or pleasure, just God. So you know that some of them don't have running water inside their house. They don't want to get used to the comfort. They, 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 want, to, they want to sacrifice. They, some of them don't have electricity in their house because they don't want to, get, they don't want to depend on those kind of things. So some of them, many of them don't drive cars or trucks. They, they have a, a horse and buggy transportation. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? And they're kind of back to nature, loving God. And if there's any group of people in America that deserve to be reverenced and respect and excluded from the attack or hurt of the world and the devil, I'd say it was them. But do you know what? The day after that man went and shot and killed nine of their children and students, a good number of the Amish people visited the shooter's family and they said to the family, we forgive him. Now, that sort of forgiveness in the world's way of thinking is incomprehensible. And there are people, when the Amish group went to the shooter's house and forgave him, there are people in the world who said, well, they're bad parents for doing that. They're not dealing properly with their anger or they're living in denial. And yet if you read this Bible and you look at the life of Jesus, it's that kind of crazy love that Jesus demonstrated to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's amazing about God. He created you. Some of you 53 years ago. Some of you 60 years ago. Some of you 15 years ago. Some of you 63 years ago. He, God created us and took a risk. You, you didn't hear me. 
He took a risk by giving us freedom of choice. We could stomp on him, curse him, spit in his face, and deny him. Or we could fall in love with him and thank him for creating us and thank him for saving us and use our free choice to be obsessed with him. Help me praise him here, somebody. You know, I'm going to be real transparent with you. If somebody offends somebody I love, and especially my wife or my children, I'm like you. If somebody were to come and do violence or harm to somebody I love, including you that I love, my human nature wants to retaliate. Man, there are many times I thank God that I'm only five foot, uh, several inches tall. Because I, I'd be in more fights than you could count. More times than I want to admit the spirit of slap comes all over me. And I'd be in jail for a long time. Thank God that he didn't equate my physical size with sometimes my bad attitude. Thank you for working on me, Jesus. Because I want to retaliate. And yet God says a person obsessed with Jesus will even love those who hate them. I I find that hard to do sometimes. Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And I often find myself saying, kill them, Jesus. I mean, that's not what he meant. No. But you and I are never more like Jesus. We have no greater freedom when we free ourselves of self-imposed shackles of bitterness and retaliation and revenge. I move on. Luke 14, 12 says this about being lovers. Luke 14, 12. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Because if you do, they may invite you back and you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let me tell you something. All the time, effort, energy you're putting in this earth for stuff that's going to melt away and burn up and corrupt and leave behind isn't what life is all about. The Bible encourages us to not only store up some blessings here, but store up treasures in heaven that will meet us there because we were obsessed with Jesus. I hasten. Here's another profile, a part of the profile of what we would see as someone who is obsessed with Jesus. That, that person would be known as a risk taker. Can I get a witness here? People who are obsessed with Jesus aren't consumed with their personal safety and comfort above all else. Obsessed people care more about God's kingdom coming to this earth than their own lives being shielded from pain or distress. I think sometimes I'm prone to forget, and we in America, with all the luxuries we have, we're prone to forget that Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. It implies that there will be pain and distress. Risk takers, missionaries, and especially those who leave America. And they go to a different climate, culture, custom, language. They go to places where they don't have running water inside and electricity inside. They go to places where they don't have transportation. They go to places where they don't know where their kids are going to go to school. They go to places where where they don't even have the means of communication you and I have here. Because the Lord put a burden in their heart for, for lost people, for helpless people, for hopeless people, for people who are lost and don't even know they're lost. 
I think that's risk-taking. Oh, but they'll tell you everything I've ever given up for Jesus cannot be compared with what Jesus has done for me. I think risk-takers are people like adoptive parents who say, you know what? We need to adopt a child. I'm just throwing this out there and letting the Holy Spirit do You know what? It's going to cost us money. We don't even know what his or health is, her health is going to be like two or five or ten years from now. We're going to have to clothe and feed and educate. And we're going to take a risk because we don't know what, what genetic makeup he or she comes from. But God has put it in our hearts to be a lover of everybody. And given us this desire for this child or children. And, and the risk is there, but oh, the rewards cannot be compared. But watching a child have a chance at life, at education, at love, at protection, at all gifts that God can use them with. I, I think it, it's a person like Corey Tin Boom. Many of us know her story. Let me just highlight. Corey Tin Boom and her family lived in the Netherlands. When the Nazis, Hitler's Nazi regime, invaded the Netherlands. And all of you already know that Hitler was a horrendous dictator. And he had a, a special hate. A kind of hate that comes right out of hell for the Jews and the people of God. And most of you know your history and you know that he incarcerated in literal incineraries. Ovens, incineraries, burned and killed millions of men, women, boys and girls. He would load them up all through the part of Europe that, that he conquered. And he would put them on trains and, and herd them like cattle, worse than cattle. He would put them in, in, in boxcars and there would be no, no uh, open ventilation. They would, many of them would die in transport. And if they survived transport, they would go to, to gas chambers. If it wasn't an incendiary of fire, he would t- send them to showers and the fumes of gas. The doors were locked. The place was, was sealed shut and millions died by Hitler's hate. Corrie Tim Boom. Not Jewish, but loving the Jews and the people of God. Her father was a watchmaker. He lived in the Netherlands. And God laid it on her heart to protect Jews. And they had to do it very secretively. Because anybody that protected Jews was equal to a Jew in Hitler's eyes. And for, for, for months and months and months, the underground communication, the, 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 they, they'd build separate little small places in their house that looked like a part of the, the house, but it was, it was closeted in a way that, that the entrance and the exit was not revealed. And if, they, if the Nazis pound on the wall, it would sound like a hollow wall. And they spared the lives of numbers of Jews as they kind of was like an underground railroad. Until an informant shared the news. And Corrie Ten Boom and her parents and her family were all arrested by the Nazi and sent to various concentration camps. She and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravenbrook. Her sister Betsy died in the camp. And you, you've seen the movies and you know what I'm talking about. You know that in those camps they were just hanging on to life as if Hitler and his regime was taking pleasure in poking them and, and, and persecuting them before he killed them. Lice and disease and food that was not as not even worthy for the slopping of pigs. 
And yet in it all, she had a little bit of, she had a hidden scripture, a little one leaf of a little small testament. And they'd read it at night by the moonlight or incognito in a sense for the guards not to know. Eventually she was released. And when she was released near the end of the war, before it ended, it came to find out one week later, she found out that her release was premature. It was a mistake. It was an error in the clerical work. She was not supposed to be released. Because one week later, she found out all the women in the camp she was in, her age, were taken out and executed by the Nazi. How many know God doesn't make any mistakes? When she got, when she got out, she preached the gospel of love and the gospel of forgiveness she even, she was in a service one day, a service in one of the places after the war was over, and down the aisle came a man, and she didn't have to be introduced. When she saw him coming down the aisle, he was one of the guards who took pleasure in, 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 in uh, abusing the women in every kind of way, including sexually, and took joy in it. And she saw him coming down the aisle with tears in his eyes, and the Holy Ghost said, you have got to forgive him. Anybody helping this preacher? And she said, God, I cannot and will not extend my hand out there to grasp his hand in forgiveness. I cannot do it. Because immediately when she saw him, the picture, the film. How many know in your mind you have better files than your computers? How many know your mind can take better pictures than the best camera? And she said, all that film began to play back how he hurt women, hurt her sister, hurt her. And then he came and stood after she preached that morning on forgiveness and love and tears running down his face. And the Holy Ghost gave Corey Ten Boom the power to lift her arm and her hand, extend it, put it in his hand. He said, Corey, you already know who I am. I can tell. And I'm not saying it verbatim. And he offered his apology. And without hesitation, she offered her handshake. And there, God gave her the capacity to be so obsessed with Christ that she had the power to forgive even her worst enemy. Somebody help me pray. Praise the Lord. You're never going to be as free as in your willingness to say, God, I want to love like Jesus loved. Risk takers. There are more people, but I move on. The Bible says those who are obsessed with Jesus live lives that connect them with the poor in some way or another. Obsessed people believe that Jesus talked about money and the poor so often because it was really, really important to Jesus. What I fear what happened has happened. I fear that the further away we got from the knowledge of the devastating earthquake in Haiti and the tremendous, tremendous loss... The further away we got away from it, we get away from it, the less I find myself remembering to pray for them. Do you find yourself sometimes like that? Oh, because I don't like them and I want to forget. But I learned to understand that if I'm obsessed with Jesus, the things that were priorities to Jesus. He said, foxes of the, uh, uh, of the field have... Holes to sleep in. Birds of the air have a nest to lay there. The, the nest to have their young. But the Son of Man have no place to lay his head. Uh, uh, Jesus was continually giving away blessings. 
Can I, can I get an amen here? I, I say that because I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I say that because sometimes we measure ourselves and our charitable deeds and our expression to the poor and the down and out. We measure ourselves by somebody else and what they do or didn't do. And we think it's okay if we surpass their capacity. Are you all following me? I do it. I do it. Satisfy our conscience to think, well... This is enough. When God calls us to take a risk and do more. And the Lord never called us to compare ourselves with another church or ministry or somebody beside us in ministering to the poor and the needy. He called us to be so obsessed with Him. Jesus the Holy Spirit giving inspiration to the writer, First Timothy, says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing in the world and we'll take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Listen to this. People who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Oh, you know, when we get a little something or get a little extra or get a little bonus or get a little... The devil says, now this is just for you. This is just for you. Get a pay raise. This is just for you. Just for you. You don't have to give any of that. That's your tax return. You don't have to give any of that to the Lord. It's quiet, Jesus. But Jesus, I'm preaching quiet. We're always hovering over. Guarding and protecting while the naked are still naked and the hungry is still hungry and the dying is still dying. And the sick are still sick. The Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Scripture, this is scripture. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many grief. Please listen to me. I have helped prayed some people into a job and to financial security. Only in my 25 years of pastoring to see the same people leave a vacant place in the house of God where they used to sit. Did did you all hear what I said? As if I prayed that in for them so that they could build a bigger house, have a faster car, have a country club uh, membership and go there on Sundays. Everything in its place. Please hear me. When God blessed Alan Matura, he had more than Alan Matura in mind. He wants me to be like a pipe, a a plumbing pipe, a PVC pipe. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. A conduit. God never meant for me to be a reservoir or the Dead Sea. Alan Matura, if I can trust you to bless somebody else, I'll take care of you too. Friends to all. Let me, you see all this stuff that we're fighting for and piling up and chasing after? There ain't a one of you here, if Jesus tarries, that's not going to die one day. Look, look at me, hear me. 
listen to me. Everybody under the sound of my voice, including me, we're going to die one day if Jesus tarries. Jesus is not preparing a place in heaven for those who intend to serve him one day. Uh, you, you need to hear me. Jesus is not going to bless your house, your land, your children, your family, your health, your finances, because you intend to tithe one day. You, you all didn't hear me. He said, I want you to honor me now by giving 10%, which is a tithe of your income, into my house. And prove that with the 90% you have left, I'll take care of your present and your retirement. Jesus is not preparing heaven for people who have gifts and talents in the church and let somebody else do it all the work. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to tell you the counterpart of lukewarmness is to be obsessed with Jesus. Because one of the characteristics of a person who is obsessed with Jesus that I won't get to is server. Being a servant. Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered unto. I came to minister. All of my good intentions about tithing and giving and serving and praying and loving God. It's not going to get me to heaven. It's what I do right now. Somebody's thinking, there are other churches that are less radical than this kind of sermon. And you're absolutely right. And above their church is the word Ichabod, which says the glory has departed. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible tell me to tone down my love for Jesus. If this offends you, may God change your mind. Crazy. Crazy ones. That's the person who's obsessed with Jesus. Obsessed people are more concerned with obeying God than doing what is expected or fulfilling the status quo. A person who's obsessed with Jesus will do things that don't always make sense in terms of success or wealth on this earth. Crazy people. Some of you sitting right there here in this service this morning, you wasn't going to come anywhere near one of them Pentecostal churches. No. Uh-uh. It's Mother's Day and Mama likes to go there. I'll suck it up and go today. And whatever died and that Pentecostal, that's where she went, but only for, and soon as they say amen, I'm out of there. Because you all are stereotyped us because of what you heard of somebody else who ain't never tasted and seen how good God is in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. And so some of you have stereotyped us and like your family might be doing you now. Well, they throw pixie dust on people and they go, whoop, go right. They're holy rollers. Handle snakes. You better have life insurance if you bring a snake for me to handle. You handle your own poison. Don't bring me no snake to handle. We don't believe in handling snakes. We believe if you touch any deadly thing unintentionally and not provoke it, God's going to protect you. So you came to the Pentecostal church and you figured 
Crazy, crazy, crazy. You didn't figure they were crazy when you went to the ball game and drunk as a skunk. I'm a preaching man. Y'all go ahead and admit it. If I were to die today, you'll be talking about me tomorrow. I want to give you something to talk about. I love you. I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing. You know, on Sunday, the most popular item on the menu is preacher for lunch. But I'm serious as I'm standing here. Some of you are thinking, I'm never going back. And while they were singing, the Holy Spirit moved. While the preaching, the altar call, four or five people went up and you know you should have and you didn't. You got off in your car, went on thinking, well, that'll, that'll, that'll pass in a few days. And God kept knocking and you came back and this time you sat on the fourth row from the back with the crazy people. The altar call was given and you thought, you know, I can't understand this craziness, but it feels better than my other life. I think I'll make my way down there. Help me out here, somebody. I, I don't understand how some of them shake under the power of God. I don't know why some of them run and dance, but I, I just know they got something that I, I didn't get from last Saturday night or last Friday night. I didn't, get, I didn't get from snorting it. I didn't get from drinking it. I didn't get from shooting it. I didn't get it from that crowd who dragged me to the hog pen. And when I got to the hog pen, they ran off and left me with the hogs. Help me out here, somebody. And you came down the aisle, and now you have become one of the crazy ones. I'd rather be crazy for Jesus. Got my name in the Lamb's book of life. The joy of the Lord in my strength. I'd rather pillow my head at night know that no demons can come around me because the blood of Jesus Christ covers me. I'd rather be popular with God than any politician, any, any kind of people out there in the world who I have to buy to be my friend. I'd rather, I'd rather be crazy for Jesus and in love with Jesus than to be a friend of the world and the flesh and the devil. Give me Jesus every time. Somebody give the Lord some praise in this house. Yeah. They're talking about you. Yeah. They're, they're, you think you're excluded. They're talking about you in the break room. They're talking about you where you work. Give them something to talk about. Shut up, boy. You know, some of us are singing songs that if we, if God really took it literally, we're singing it, it'd mess up our apple cart. Some of us singing a song, I'm desperate for you. And then God calls you to do something crazy and you're thinking, I'm not that desperate for you. <laughs> Take my houses and my lands, my dream and my plans to draw me closer to you. Whatever it takes. And God calls us into a little trial and we backslide. I'm preaching to you now. This feel good, stroke them, soothe them, make them feel good. Kind of lay me down to preach shallow preaching, three points and a little stinking poem. And somebody says a prayer. Some preachers ain't even prayed up enough. They got to read all their prayers. I'm not, I'm not against reading some prayers, but you ought to be on fire with God. And you ought to be instant, in season, and out of season. And you ought to be able to pray like somebody obsessed with Jesus. I'm talking to all of us. This is time for this body of Christ and for the kingdom of God for their talking to get matched up with their walking and their walking to get matched up with their talking. If we're in love with Jesus, I'm telling you, we're going to do some things that the world out there thinks is crazy. But if God calls us to it, then God will give us the power, the capacity and the reward for being zealous for Christ.
Yeah. Some of you are more crazy. I don't mean to be mean, but I'm going to preach while I have you. You're more crazy about what's going to be on the menu at Golden Corral than you are right now wishing I'd shut up. And if I knew that you were wishing I'd shut up, I'd take another 20-minute bout. Some of you are more crazy about the lottery. More crazy about some worldly kind of carnal thing. Crazy about our agenda. I'm telling you one day every one of us are going to die. There won't be no cars meeting us in heaven. There won't be no big screen TVs meeting us in heaven. There won't be any certificate of deposits meeting us in heaven. We've got to have some things in its place. But the right place to be is so wrapped up. When I came to America in 1968, 11 years old, they used to sing in the church, I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled all up in Jesus. Some of you, some of you Pentecostal listen to me right now. You used to be wrapped up, tied up. Now you can't stand if we sing another verse of the song. Oh, God, help me. Don't sound like a man who wants to stay at another church for another 25 years, does it? But but let me tell you, I do want to stay here, but I didn't sign up for hypocrisy. I didn't sign up for sugarcoating the Word of God. I signed up one day because I want to dance with you and your family on the streets of glory. And we all congratulate each other and say, it's been worth it all. Francis Chan in the book Crazy Love says this. He says, sometimes when, I, when God calls me to a level of obedience and sacrifice that's remotely biblical, but biblical nonetheless, he says, sometimes people who call themselves the Christians are the first ones to criticize me. He says, when, when the Lord moves me as a pastor, a person, to do something Radical, out of the ordinary, but of God. He says, people tell me I'm taking the Bible too literally. And I'm not thinking about my family's well-being. Francis Chan tells about the first time that he returned from his first trip ever to Africa. And he said, when I returned home, I felt so strongly that we should sell our house and move into something smaller in order to give more away for the cause of God. He said, the feedback I got was along the lines of, it's not fair to your kids. It's not a prudent financial choice. He said, the feedback I got was like, you're doing it just for show. Here is his words from his book. He says, I do not remember a single person who encouraged me to explore it or supported the decision at that time. Further, he said, we ended up moving into a house half the size of our previous home, and we haven't regretted it. My response to the cynics in the context of eternity was, am I crazy or the crazy one for selling my house? Or are you for not giving more, serving more, being with your creator more? Listen to his words. If one person wastes away his day by spending hours connecting with God and the other person believes he's too busy or has better things to do than to worship the creator and the sustainer, who's the crazy one?
If one person invests his or her resources in the poor, which according to Matthew's Gospel chapter 25, is when we give to the poor, it's like we're giving to Jesus himself. And the other person extravagantly remodels a temporary dwelling that will not last beyond his few years left on the earth. Who's the crazy one? My point is, the Lord is calling us to a higher level of obsession. Slide number, point number 10, and I'm closing. So, another profile, if you will, and I'm going to wrap it up real, very, very quickly, of a person who's obsessed with Jesus, or people who are obsessed with Jesus, they are raw with God. They do not attempt to mask the ugliness of their sins or their failures. Obsessed people don't put it on for God. He is their safe place where they can be at peace. Obsessed people don't put it on for God. What does that mean? That means that sometimes when Alan Matura goes to pray to God, I try to make myself look better than I am. And God says, hey, wait just a minute, Alan. This ain't Valerie. And this ain't your staff. Or your elders, this is God. I already know who you are, son. So don't come here guarded in front of me. I know who you are. And so, Alan, if you'll be transparent and honest and say, God, I'm not obsessed with you. And Jesus, sometimes I'm more obsessed with titles and influence and things and power. People who are obsessed with God come before him at the altar, the place of prayer, and say, God, there are some things in me that, that you already know. And it's ugly. And it's bad. And it could be my destruction. Wash me. Cleanse me. God, I can't overcome the anger without you. I can't overcome the loss without you. I can't overcome the, the, the bitterness without you. I can't overcome the flesh. Wash me again, Jesus. Oh, we, we all know how to put it on. But not with God. Stand, please, would you? Everyone stand. Don't leave unless you have an emergency. Sing with Pastor Zach.
I'm going to close like this. I want to close unguardedly and unreservedly. I, Alan Matura, will always be a work in process. You will always be a work in process. As long as we are in human flesh and there's a live devil out there, we're always going to be needed to be tweaked, fixed, adjusted, cleansed, purified again. And I have preached to me today. As much as it may have come off like I'm arrogant and I hope it hasn't, I have preached to this preacher. I need help being obsessed with Jesus. I know Jesus. I know about Jesus. I can tell some people about, and so can you, but I don't know that I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up, sold out, that if he did a Francis Chan on me or something else like a missionary, that I would be ready. I want to be instant in season and out of season. As he sings that chorus again, I don't care if we fill up the altar and the aisles. You say, Pastor Matura, I need to be obsessed. I need, I'm a work in process. And I'm coming to the altar to say to God, I surrender all. Come as he sings. And you sing as you come. Come, come, come from everywhere. I don't care if you feel, come as close to the front and then come in the aisle. And after you come, raise up your hands. We're going to go home in a few more minutes, but right now it's God and you. give you two minutes in this altar to talk to Jesus. L- listen to me now. You come, Keep coming closer. Listen. If you had two minutes between now and eternity and you're talking to God, what would you tell Him? If you had two minutes right now before, between now and eternity and you needed to take care of some business, what would you say to Him? Starting now. Two minutes. Raise your hands. Raise your voices. And as He plays softly, come on. All over the church, even if you didn't come to the altar, raise up your hands and raise up your voices. God, I don't want to play church. I don't want to play pastor. I don't want to play holy. I I, I don't want to be falling in love with things and people more than Jesus. Come on, come on. You've got about a minute and 30 seconds to talk to Jesus. Oh, God, I want to be unguarded and tell you that I need help. I take off my mask. I take off my image and I, I present myself in the altar today. I need to love everybody. I need to forgive my enemies. I need to forgive myself. Come on, you got about a minute left. I need, oh God, to quit judging and being angry and bitter. I need to quit sinning. Come on, God, forgive me of my sins. Tell him if that's you. I have sinned. I have failed you. If I die without praying and asking you to forgive me, I would not go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Forgive me for using you, God, and not letting you use me. Come on, come on. You've got about, you got about 40 seconds left. Holy Ghost, I ask you today to begin a revival at South Metro Ministries. I ask you, Holy Ghost, for me not to judge myself by anybody in this altar or these pews. Because none of us are better than the other. None of us are more holy and righteous in our own way than the other. All of us need the blood of Jesus Christ every day to be applied to our lives. Oh, lift those hands again. Thank you, Jesus. Sing Pastor Zach, the chorus. I love you, Jesus. Sing with it. This is a prayer of surrender. Yes, I 
If you were in those, one of those churches that care more about what people think than God, you wouldn't do this. But the Holy Ghost showed me an image to ask you to do. It's going to be a crazy thing, but it ain't going to be crazy. The Holy Ghost showed me to ask you before you leave to take your hands in a moment, in a moment, and put them upside your head like this in a moment, and then ask the Lord to give you a mind possessed of Jesus. In a moment, beginning to now, pray, God, give me the mind of Jesus. I want to be so, come on, pray over your head. The mind is the seat of my thinking. The mind is the seat of my being from which I do. Come on, sanctify my mind. Tell, tell the Lord that. Sanct, cleanse my mind. Purify my mind. Let me think on the things that are good and just and pure and lovely and a good report. Give me a mind to love and forgive. Lord, I crucify my ego. I crucify my ego. I crucify my world that's only made up of me. Me, myself, and I. Sanctify my mind so that I have the mind of Jesus. I surrender all. I surrender all. And now everybody... I